Good morning. So if you could all stand for the reading of God's word. The scripture this morning is Luke chapter 4 verses 16 through 21. And it starts out, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. That's Jesus. On the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The word of the Lord. Thank you. A few months ago, and I I think I touched on this last Sunday, I preached a series through the book of Joshua. Um, Joshua was appointed by God to lead the Israelite people into Canaan and possess or conquer the land. In this series that um, we started last week, we're drawing parallels between what Joshua did in the Old Testament in a physical sense and what Jesus does in the New Testament in a spiritual sense as a spiritual conqueror. Jesus was appointed to possess spiritual territory. To take ground that had been lost to Satan. To take it back. Last week we looked at a passage from Isaiah 45. It was a prophecy concerning Cyrus who was anointed by God to subdue nations, strip kings of their armor, open doors and break down gates, and gain treasures hidden in darkness and secret places. And we saw how, although not a messianic prophecy, Jesus would do the same things as Cyrus was called to do, only in a different way, on a different level. What Jesus would do as the conqueror would reverberate in the realms and kingdoms of the spiritual rather than in the physical. So today we look into the New Testament. In the book of Luke, to the commission Jesus is given as he begins his ministry. Now a commission is an authorization or command to act in a prescribed manner or perform prescribed acts. So in other words, what it's saying is Jesus was given a commission by the Father to do certain things on earth in his ministry among us. It also means authority to act for, in behalf of, or in place of another. So Jesus came as the image of God to show us the Father. Right? You want to see God? Look at Jesus. Jesus, um, in this passage of Scripture, He's back home. He's in His hometown. 
And when the Sabbath come, he pays a visit to the church he grew up in. Back home, going to go to church, see some of the folks that, you know, have known me since I was a kid. And, and the Scripture says Jesus did this. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath as was His custom. That's what Jesus did. On the Sabbath, He went to church. This is kind of a chapter 2 of something that I... I don't know, pounded on in Sunday school a little bit. <laughs> Apparently, Jesus was in the habit of regular church attendance. Interesting to me that the one person in all of history who probably needed to be in church the least <laughs> made it a practice to be there every week. Hmm. Now, Jesus was a busy person. He could have used a day when he didn't have to deal with people. It would have been nice to skip church and fill in the blank. Go fishing, whatever. Or maybe to take in a game at the local amphitheater. I don't know. For sure, Jesus didn't agree with all the religious practices of his day, right? He had some real issues with, with the religious leadership. And there may have been some things going on at the synagogue that were not to his liking. But that did not keep him away. Jesus was in church as was his custom. Now, synagogues were without clergy. In other words, there wasn't a, a pastor there that preached every week. Consequently, Someone was chosen each Sabbath to, the, to be the preacher or teacher. Often it was a visiting rabbi. This day, Jesus was selected. Perhaps because many viewed him as a rabbi, or maybe because he was a local boy who was now well known. Hey, Jesus is back in town. Why don't we have him preach today? So Jesus stands to read the scroll. And, and in, that, in, in their church... The, the reader of the scripture always stood. And he's, and he's then handed the writings of Isaiah. And Jesus finds a particular passage, and whether by providence that scripture had been pre selected for him, or maybe because Jesus chose it himself. And he reads a prophecy from Isaiah chapter 61. The portion of Scripture that is customarily appointed to be read at the close of the Day of Atonement. And it's not even the Day of Atonement. Now, there are two levels of meaning in this passage. When Jesus talks about setting prisoners free, opening the eyes of the blind, all those things. We know there's certainly a physical, literal, or you can read this literally. And Jesus can and does all those things. But there's a spiritual application as well. Something that goes deeper than just the physical. And it's not unusual for Jesus to do that, to take it to a deeper level. He often did that. Remember? You say, do this. But I say, just doing that isn't enough. It's got to go to the heart level. 
And, we need, and, and I believe that we not only need to look at this in a physical, literal sense, but take it to the heart level as well. So, um, Jesus reads the Messianic prophecy, a prophecy concerning himself. They didn't get that, but Jesus knew who it was talking about. And it said that, first of all, Jesus was commissioned through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was commissioned through the anointing of the Spirit. Isaiah 42, verse 1. This is speaking of Jesus, prophetically. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. It was the Spirit of the Lord, the anointing of God, that gave authenticity, that qualified and legitimatized the ministry and mission of Jesus. It was the power of the Spirit. It was after His baptism when the Spirit of God descended on Jesus like a dove that Jesus began His ministry. It was when the Spirit anointed Him that He began His ministry. And I will tell you that if we are to join Jesus in His ministry, in His mission, and we have been called to do that, we must be anointed by the same Holy Spirit. Jesus said to His disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And unless what we do, as followers of Jesus Christ, unless what we do is in the power of the Spirit, it is in our own power. If we're not doing it in the power of the Spirit, we're doing it in our own power. And just like the Israelites, remember, hearkening back to the book of Joshua, just like the Israelites who came against the, the, the city of Ai without the presence of God and were defeated, remember that? We too will suffer futility and defeat any time we seek to take territory from Satan in the name of God without the power and presence of His Holy Spirit. We'll get beat. See, it's, it's the Spirit of the Lord on each one of us that authenticates, legitimizes, and qualifies us for service and ministry in the army of Jesus, the commander of the hosts of heaven. So it was the anointing of the Spirit. Jesus was commissioned through the anointing of the Spirit. But then it tells us what Jesus was commissioned to do. Jesus was commissioned to preach good news to the poor. He was commissioned to preach good news to the poor. Jesus preached wherever He went. Not only with His words, but with His actions. Sometimes the loudest preaching we do is in the way we live our lives. People are watching us. They're watching to see what we do. They're watching to see how we treat each other. They're watching to see how we treat people out there. They're watching to see how we live our, our lives. They're watching to see what kind of good things we do as followers of Jesus Christ. You know, a cup of cold water isn't much, but it makes a big difference to someone who's thirsty. 
So they're watching the actions, the things we do. But the things we say are important too, are they not? Someone, I think it was maybe St. Francis of Assisi who this was credited to, I don't remember. And this is very much a paraphrase of what he said. But basically, it's witness all you can and when necessary, use words. In other words, it talks about the way we live. But then God gives us opportunities to open our mouths and share with people the reason we live the way we live and what Jesus can do in their lives. So, what a wonderful opportunity it is then for us, right? A wonderful opportunity. It is a wonderful opportunity when we actually get to talk to someone about Jesus. That is a wonderful opportunity. <laughs> I don't know if it is or not. Listen, words are incredibly effective, especially when they are words of truth. Because there is power in the truth. Good news. See, Jesus said He came to preach good news to the poor. Good news, the gospel, news of life, salvation, forgiveness, deliverance, freedom, fulfillment, hope, blessing. What could be better? And who doesn't want those things? Our problem is, I think, sometimes that we're much more willing to preach through actions than we are with words. It's a lot easier for me to go down to the local food kitchen and, you know, put things on people's plate or hand them a sandwich than it is to actually talk to them about Jesus. You know, it's fine to do acts and love of love and kindness for people. In fact, we're called to do that. But we need to be ready at all times to talk to folks about Jesus when the opportunity arises. Listen, God, I've told you this. He, if, if He calls you to talk to somebody about Jesus, He's already been at work ahead of you. And He also promised to be there with us to help us to know what to say. Oh, I don't have enough Scripture memorized. Oh, I'm not articulate. Okay? Remember, who Jesus chose... Country bumpkins as his disciples for the most part. These uneducated men, remember the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, were kind of blown away at at the courage and and the verbiage of these men who were uneducated Galileans, fishermen, tax collectors. So we need to be asking God, who... Here's the scary part. We need to be asking God for opportunities and for guidance when those opportunities to share Jesus with someone presents themselves. So it was commissioned to preach good news to the poor. Now, this can certainly be taken in a literal social economic sense. Poor people, poverty stricken people. The poor are often more open to the gospel maybe because they don't have the material resources to depend on. They recognize their needs for God. Think about the great revivals that are happening in our time. They're happening in places around the world where people are poor. (laughs) I remember on some of our... uh, I went to Honduras four times and we were in some pretty poor, poor communities and... You know, uh, people get sick there and they don't run to the doctor. 
There may not be a doctor to run to. Or if there is, they may not be able to afford to. So the people in the church there, they've got this crazy idea that God heals people, so they pray for healing. Can you believe that? (laughs) For us, hey, for me too, it's the last resort. I've gone to the doctor and he's tried this medication and that medication and that physical therapy and and you know, just nothing. Say, okay, I guess I'll pray. <laughs> yeah, preach the good news to the poor. But there's a spiritual poverty that transcends social and economic boundaries. A spiritual poverty. We live in a culture where vast numbers of people are spiritually destitute. We see it in what is sometimes termed as the moral bankruptcy that seems so prevalent in our culture. Folks, Jesus is calling us to preach good news to the economically and spiritually poor. It's the commission that Jesus gave us as recorded in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Preach good news to the poor. Jesus was commissioned also to proclaim freedom for captives. Freedom for captives. What's proclaim? Proclaim is to speak, to say something. You can do it sometimes verbally. You can do it in writing. Uh, Somebody mentioned in our Sunday school class this morning as someone to be admired, uh, a great person, Abraham Lincoln. Think of Abraham Lincoln's proclamation. Well, it's the Emancipation Proclamation. Those words were, were so powerful that they set into motion events that would change the course of our nation's history. Words. Words spoken, words on a paper. Proclaiming something. How much more, how much more powerful are the words of our eternal and almighty God. It is the word of God through the power of the Spirit that sets prisoners free. God proclaims freedom. And there are all kinds of prisons that people find themselves in. Not just this kind. Satan has people bound to habits and hurts held prisoner by bitterness and unforgiveness, imprisoned by fears and the lies that promise happiness but bring pain and desperation instead. People are captive to sin and its harmful effects on their lives. People are prisoners. People are being held in prison, held captive by the enemy of our souls. You know, if you were a prisoner in New Testament times... They didn't just throw you in a prison cell. They chained you up as well. 
read some of the New Testament accounts of Paul and, and Peter and, you know, when they were imprisoned. They were in chains. They were locked in a cell and they were in, in chains. So it wasn't just a matter of opening a cell door to set you free. It was also being freed from the chains that bound those that were being held captive. And what, Jesus said, I have come to set the captive free. I'm not only going to open cell doors, I'm going to break chains. I'm going to loose chains. I'm going to set you free. You know, we got, there are a number of songs, and I thought of all kinds of songs that make reference to, to this kind of imagery. Glorious freedom, wonderful freedom. No more in chains of sin I repine. And can it be, verse 4, Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. And by the way, that makes reference to something else we're going to talk about in a minute. Nature's night. Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon, the place where I was held prisoner, flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Jesus setting prisoners free. There's a, that's, that's a song that's been around for a while. Here's a newer one. It's called Chainbreaker. Some of you might be aware of this song. And it goes like this. If you've been walking the same old road for miles and miles, if you've been hearing the same old voice tell the same old lies... If you're trying to fill the same old holes inside, there's a better life. There's a better life. If you've got pain, he's the pain taker. If you feel lost, he's the way maker. If you need freedom or saving, he's a prison shaking savior. If you've got chains, he's a chain breaker. We've all searched for the light of day in the dead of night. We've all found ourselves worn out from the same old fight. We've all run to things we know just ain't right. And there's a better life. There's a better life. If you've got pain, He's the pain taker. If you feel lost, He's the way maker. If you need freedom or saving, He's a prison shaking Savior. If you've got chains, He's a chain breaker. If you need freedom or saving, He's a prison-shaking Savior. If you've got chains, He's a chain-breaker. He came to set the captive free. Jesus was then commissioned to bring recovery of sight to the blind. Well, I struggled with this one, and I'll tell you why. That word recovery... Recovery, it's like, to me that says, well, you were able to see, but now you don't, and now you're going to recover your eyesight. So I went to all the commentators, and nobody comments on that. Come on, I need help with this one. So let's dive into it anyway. Certainly, again, the, the, the idea of recovery of sight for the blind has both physical and spiritual implications. Jesus is the bringer of light to darkened hearts and eyes. During his earthly ministry, Jesus gave sight to those 
who were physically blind. We know He did. The Scripture talks about the times when He gave sight to the physically blind. But He also came to bring... He also came to bring sight to those lost in darkness. Remember that, and can it be, lost in sin and nature's night? If you've ever experienced total darkness, ever been in, you know, they take you underground in one of those caves and they turn off the lights and it's like, I mean, it's black. You can't see anything. You might as well be blind. Fast bound in sin and nature's night, blind. Second Corinthians 4, verse 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. They're in pitch darkness. They are essentially blind. People are walking blind in the darkness of deception and unbelief. Jesus came to open their eyes by bringing the light of truth into that darkness. Right? You know, the light has entered the darkness and the darkness cannot withstand it. It can't quench it. And listen... When you're in that dark cave where they've turned on the lights, I'll tell you, if, if somebody lit a match or turned on a flashlight, it, there's no way to avoid seeing that in that pitch darkness. And that's Jesus. He has come in to the darkness of our world. He's the light. How do you avoid seeing that? And yet we know people's eyes are blinded. Isaiah said in chapter 9, verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. That's speaking about Jesus again. John chapter 8, verse 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Praise God. The blindness that those people walked in will become sight as they walk in the light. Jesus came to bring recovery of sight for the blind. Jesus was commissioned to liberate the oppressed. And this, I think, relates closely to setting the captives free. That means just a little different a little different idea here. There are those who are oppressed by injustice, poverty, and even religious judgmentalism. We don't want people like that in the church. Do you see what I'm saying? They're oppressed by injustice, poverty, and maybe even religious judgmentalism. That was certainly true in Jesus' time. That's one of the reasons he butted heads with the Pharisees. Some people just weren't welcome in church. Shepherds weren't. They were unclean. Lepers weren't. They were unclean. And there was all kinds of problems you could have that just, hey, you can't come to church. Religious judgmentalism. Injustice. Poverty. But there's also oppression that comes through frustration. Worry. Grief, depression, 
physical, emotional, and spiritual exhaustion. See, oppression is something that kind of holds you down and holds you back and keeps you from becoming or being. And listen, it may not necessarily be sin, but if Satan could use some of these other things in your life to beat you up, to wear you out, to get you discouraged, and to keep you from doing and being what God has called you to, then he's accomplished something. Jesus came to liberate the oppressed, to release us from all types of oppression, doesn't matter what it is, to set us free. To be all that God has called us to be. And then Jesus was commissioned to proclaim the time of the Lord's favor. By the way, you know, you might look at that. Some, some, um, some versions say the season of the Lord's favor. Let me tell you something. We're still in that season. <laughs> Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Isaiah 49.8, this is what the Lord says, In the time of my favor I will answer you, and in the day of salvation I will help you. Now, these verses make specific reference to what God would do for his people in their return from Babylon. They would experience favor. They would experience God's salvation and deliverance. It also referred to the year of Jubilee. Remember when debts were forgiven and lands were returned to family ownership and bond servants were set free. It was a time of restoration. The, the season, the year, the time of God's favor. The context in which Jesus spoke these words means the season of man's acceptability with God. In other words, God says, come to me. He makes that possible through the blood of Jesus. We cannot live in relationship with God if our sins haven't been covered by the blood of Jesus. Right? He's a holy God. It's a time, a season of man's acceptability with God, a time when they may seek and find Him. Can we still seek and find God? Yes, we can. We're still enjoying God's favor. And it's a time He has chosen. And He's still choosing. Again, He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's God's favor. Paul said in... in, in 2 Corinthians 6.2 I tell you, now is the time. This is way after Isaiah wrote his thing. Down the road, several hundred years. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. We can still quote that now today and say that it's true. We are still enjoying the time of God's favor. And that's why Jesus... Listen... God loves you. He wants you to be able to live in relationship with Him. He wants to bless your way and bless your life in ways that you could never enjoy outside of a relationship with Him. And so Jesus reads all these things and then He sits down. Now the impression might be, well, He read it and He sat down, He must be done. No, He was about to begin. See, the scripture was read while standing, but the speaker gave the address while seated. So you read the scripture, then you sat down, 
and you preached. That's rabbis taught while sitting down. His message that day? Well, it began it this way. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What? That sounds to me like he's claiming to be God. Now, we didn't read that part. What happened next? But they didn't like the sound of that. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is speaking in the present tense. Not God who did or God who will do, but God who is doing right now. See, Jesus took this list of credentials from the prophecy of Isaiah and claimed them as his own. This is me. It's talking about me. They're the credentials of a conqueror, a spiritual deliverer. They're also the credentials of Jesus' army, God's people. See, we are now to be Jesus in our world. Ooh. I want to I read this. Um, it's a selection from a book by John Perkins entitled Beyond Charity. Kind of talks about our responsibility now to live out this commission. He says, We the church face a crisis in terms of the gospel we preach because we have not authenticated ourselves to the world around us. It amazes me how we can be so versed in the scriptures yet never get around to asking ourselves the right questions. The proof of the burden is on us just as it was, was on Jesus. And he makes reference to when Jesus was asked by the disciples of John to give proof of his messianic claims. Remember, John's imprisoned. He sends some of his disciples to Jesus to say, Are you the one? Are you the Messiah? And so he says, when Jesus was asked by the disciples of John to give his proof, the burden was on Jesus to give the proof. He said to go and tell John not only what they had heard, what Jesus had preached, but also what they saw. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached. Go back and tell John that. And I think John went to his death thinking, okay, okay. And if we are to be Jesus in the world where we live, we should, this is continuing with what this gentleman John Perkins wrote, if we are to be Jesus, we're on the earth, then we should constantly ask ourselves this same question. How do we as Christians demonstrate the proof of our claims to the world? If the church will ever authenticate its claim to be the answer or the way or the good news, then we will prove that that claim as Jesus did by what we do among the poor 
and oppressed. Remember that has little and spiritual meaning. What we do among the poor and oppressed of our world. God help us. God help us. Not always easy. But God help us. Pray with me, would you? Jesus, we begin this morning by saying this. We need the power of your Spirit at work in our lives because we cannot do these things in our own strength. It's only under Holy Spirit anointing. Oh, Spirit of God, come and refresh us. Come and renew us. Come and revive us. Come and give us the power and the boldness and courage to do what you've called us to do as people commissioned to go into a lost and broken world. To preach good news to the poor. To proclaim freedom for the captives and recovery of sight for the blind and to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. God still loves you and He wants to do a work in your life. Oh God, give us the boldness and courage to share Jesus with people that we engage in conversation. Because Father, that's the hope for our world and really it's the hope for our church. If we are going to be the church you've called us to be, then we need to live out this commission in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the only way it's going to happen. And so today, Father, our prayer is, Holy Spirit, fill us anew. Fill us afresh. Build a fire in us, a passion, a desire, a a motivation that drives us to be what you've called us to be as followers of Jesus Christ, as God's people in our world. Making a difference. Not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is in us. Yeah. Just take a moment. I don't know how God's leading you to pray, but let's just take a moment. To reflect on what this commission is and how we, and I'm talking about as individuals and then collectively as a church body, can fulfill that. Because that's what we've been called to do. Let's just come before God and seek His face and ask Him, what do you want to do in my heart today?
Holy Spirit, rain down. Oh, Counselor and Friend, how we need your touch again. Holy Spirit, rain down. With your head still bowed, if you're willing to say, you know what, Pastor? I want the Holy Spirit to empower me to fulfill the commission that Jesus has given us to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. If you're willing to say, that's what I want God to do in me and empower me for, and with the heads bowed and eyes, just raise your hand and say, yep, yeah. What a difference. What a difference that will make. Thank you. In a church that truly lives that. In this church that truly lives that. Think about, think about what God can do through us if that is truly our desire and our commitment. And Father, help us to live it. Oh, there'll be times when we be tempted to step back. We'll be tempted to discouragement. We'll be tempted to fear. But Lord God, may in those in the, may we in those moments, depending on the power of your Holy Spirit at work in us, step forward. Say, yes, Lord, I will. Proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and what he can do in people's lives with boldness and courage. Thank you, Father, that you still choose to work in and through us. We are your vessels. I pray, Father, that in coming days, we'll see the fruit born out of a people who are radically obedient to the call of Jesus Christ on their lives. And Father, I pray this this morning. In the name of Jesus, who will do it. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your attentiveness today. Thank you for being here. May God's grace and peace be upon you as you go this morning. You're dismissed.